Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you are able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So the natural transition, it seems like last week we talked about our mind and protecting our mind this week. We are going to talk about guarding our heart. How many times have you made a decision and said, my heart is torn? You've had some difficult decision to make and you said, my heart is torn on making the right decision. Now that aspect of our heart speaks so much more than just an organ that pumps life into our body. And so when you think of a heart, it could be easy to think about this organ that is inside of you. But I read the spiritual definition of our heart is this, and listen to this, this is really good. The heart represents the central wisdom of feeling as opposed to the head wisdom of reasoning. So think about it in these terms. Our emotion, drive, ambition, all speaks to using our heart. In Scripture, not only are we cautioned about our mind, but to be incredibly cautious about heart decisions. I don't know about you, but emotion is good. Emotion can sometimes drive me to the feet of God, but it can also lend to bad decisions, can't it? So let's turn, uh, turn to the psalmist instruction in Psalm 119. We're going to start at verse 119.1, we're going to go through verse 11. If you're turning into an electronic Bible, I use the New Living Translation. That's going to be up on the screen, or I encourage you to uh, bring a hard Bible with you sometime and uh, follow along that way. But it's going to be up on the screen. Let's begin. Psalm 119.1. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, this truth. And God, I ask that today we will remain open to what your spirit speaks and that, God, we will respond. We will respond to what you are saying. 
I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are on a journey with the Lord this morning, I think one of the most important statements I could ever make that you can easily gloss over, you can easily take for granted, is give all your heart to God. To give all your heart. Now when you make the decision to follow Christ, I believe you have to be completely sold out. You have to be all in. Now I know that we have some uh, sinners in the room. And so who here, a moment of honesty, we're on the east side, we, we wear our hearts on our sleeve, we're pretty honest. Who here's played poker before? Okay, so there's lots of hands up. So if you played poker, now I was raised in a household that played So when we played poker, we played for candy, okay? But here's the thing I learned about being a poker player. I'm not good at it. Because when I believe I have a good hand, common sense goes out the window, and I am all in because I want everyone's candy. You know what I'm saying? And so, so often I found myself being completely sold out. I would push everything into the center of the table because I so believed in the hand that I had. Now, I believe as believers in Jesus Christ, the only way to serve God is to be all in. To be all in all the time. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 and The key verse here is verse 13. Listen to this. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So I ask you the question this morning. Can you serve God half-heartedly? Can you serve God half-heartedly? If what you know about God requires you to change your lifestyle, so many people serve God half-heartedly and aren't committed to that change. Think about it this way. Many people want all the benefits of following Christ without the commitment to obey Him. I want the security of heaven. I want God's blessing. I want that prosperity. What, Lord, do you want me to I I can't give that up. God, those are things that I need in my life. Who's said that, at least in your heart before? You might not have said it out loud. You might not have spoken it. But the reality is we often enjoy life so much that we are unwilling to make the necessary adjustments. I want to give you a reminder on following Jesus. It's found in Mark 8.35. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, listen to this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So you and I have to come to this conclusion that either we choose to believe Jesus is life-saving or he is not. 
But if you make that choice that he is, put everything into that decision. Put everything in. Build that relationship. Invest time. Set everything in motion in your life that you are on this trajectory of completely being sold out to God's mission and working out your salvation. Then what begins to happen is every decision in life reflects the ultimate decision you have made. Times past when you have been tempted. Next thing you know, you're feeling that nudge saying, I don't think you should go there. I don't think you should do that thing. And then God begins to do that great work in you that you see that you being all in is tugging your heart in a different direction. But I believe that once we commit, there's going to be evidence. Amen? There's going to be evidence in people's lives that they are completely sold out. And something that the psalmist said here in Psalm 119, he said, do not compromise. Don't compromise. You know, Joshua was a great leader in the Old Testament, and he had the tough task of following Moses. But something that God chose to do through him is Moses dies, and now he is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. As Joshua goes into the promised land, what he's seeing is these people that have walked with God, they're starting to go off and they're starting to do their own thing and they are kind of honoring and serving other gods. And then Joshua would challenge on them and like, no, 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 we'll, we'll serve the Lord our God. We just, we just had these as symbols. We just had these as decor. And Joshua felt the need to make this declaration in Joshua 24, 15. He said, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Church, who knows when your kids become adults, you cannot control what decisions they make. I, as your pastor, I cannot control the decisions you make. All I can do is make this declaration over me and my own home and set a standard of holding on to my convictions and not compromising. That's all I can do. And so many of you might wonder, where do I draw the line in this compromise because of others' choices that they make and they compromise that are in my life? Who's thought that before? Pastor, I have this son. Pastor, I have this friend. I have this person. I have this coworker. They, they live this lifestyle. Should I even associate with them? Here's some questions to determine if that is a safe relationship. Are they a Christian and they still compromise? You know, 1 Corinthians 5.11 tells us not to associate with such a person. Do they have a relationship with Jesus? Romans 10.14 says, how can they know if they don't hear? Jesus Christ ate and drank with sinners. 
So there's this standard of if you are serving God with other people and they choose to compromise regularly and they make permissive what is not, it says don't associate with them. If they don't know who Jesus is, how else are they gonna hear if you're not there carrying the hope and truth of Jesus Christ? But I gotta follow up with another question. Does that relationship tempt you to compromise? 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, flee from all temptation. So for instance, if I am a recovering alcoholic and I'm like, well, Jesus ate and drank with sinners, so I'm gonna go into the bar, that's a mistake, right? That's a mistake, amen? You're not going to say, yeah, I struggle with that, but you know what, God's gonna get me through. No, I think it, there is wisdom in saying I can't associate there, right? You can't do it. But having a friendship with someone who doesn't hold the same beliefs as you does not mean you have compromised or are permissive of the choices they make, especially if you make that clear. Now something that I want to speak to, single people in the audience, this does not give you an open door to date anyone if they're outside of your faith. You hearing me? Church, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells you that whoever you link up with is like a yoke. And you guys know what a yoke is, right? It is a team of oxen. And he describes this, this yoke that, that is, is weighed on their shoulders. If, if one has a different belief system than the other, or in the case of the oxen, if one is larger than the other, it will overpower the other one, and they will start to plow in a circle instead of that straight line. And what that teaches me is when we choose to unequally yoke ourselves with someone who shares a different belief system, I am telling you, one is gonna be more dominant than the other, and it's going to cause your relationship to go in circles. It's not worth it. It's not worth it because we have to keep God's commandments. Church, keeping God's commandments is a heart issue. Are you hearing me? It's, it, most of the time it's not a head issue. Now there are people that try and reason their way out of God's commands, they try and find that gray area, but I'm telling you, it still reveals something that is going on in the heart, not the head. But to keep God's commands, you kind of have to know them. Are you hearing me? You have to know what this says. Then, then you can put it into practice. And then you have to fight to uphold them in your life. If you haven't determined it is important to uphold, you'll have no set standard. You're never going to grow. Are you hearing me? God's commands, and this is something else you need to hold on to. God's commands are set from Scripture first. You hearing me? 
God's commands are set from His written Word first. Not just what He reveals to you personally. And here's the other thing. You cannot exclude one from the other. God is not going to reveal something to you and it stands contrary to His Word. That is why you need to know what the Bible says. I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. God pours out through His written Word first, so don't neglect it. So many of you, you might say, well... Pastor, I really don't like reading. I, I don't have the time. I don't have the patience to sit down and read what this says. If you just pour his spirit out to me, then, then I'll know. I am telling you, it takes discipline, and there needs to be evidence in your life that you are following God's commands. The next thing I cry out over our hearts is a protection from wandering. Who knows there are seasons of following God? There are mountains, there are valleys. There are times where you feel so close to him and there are times you feel so far away. And the older I've become, I notice I go through these seasons with God. Times where it seems I hear him so clearly, his spirit seems strong, I'm gaining revelation regularly, I feel completely in tune with him. Then there are times it seems to be a lot of work. I get distracted easy. I tend to pour more time into other things than I do God in those moments. And during those lulls, what I find is I start to wander a little bit up here. And a question that I need to ask you, when we are going through these seasons, is God seeing that we are choosing to press in when he seems distant? Or are we taking a step back? Does he see you engaging all the more because you desperately need his presence in your life? Or is he seeing you say, well, God, if you're not going to speak, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. We might not audibly say that, but so often we display that with our heart. I'm going to put it to you another way. I know people that when things are going great in their life, they're so far from God. But the moment disaster strikes, they are the first one up here at the altar. Then I know others that when things are good, they're giving all glory to God. They're in church regularly. They're serving him. But the moment something bad happens, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. And next thing you know, they fall away. Both of these determine heart issues, church. Satan uses these things to his advantage knowing we can be so easily swayed. 
And when we can't be consistent, it becomes a spiritual issue. So I want to give you something practical you can take home with you. I want, to, I want to briefly talk about four ways you can guard your heart. Four ways you can guard your heart. And the first one, you know, I, I don't want to make light of this at all. And there have been times where I have in my adolescence. Watch what you say. Watch the words that come out of your mouth. There's a little verse in Matthew 12, 34. Jesus basically alludes to what the heart is full of flows out of our mouths. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This means that your speech is affected by what's going on in here. And it can be easy for you to just minimize or pass off what you say. Passing it off is like, oh, it's just a joke, or I don't really mean it. You might even justify things you say by calling it a little lie. Is any sin smaller than another in the eyes of God? Or should we just call it disobedience? Right? The words you speak matter. And you need to be conscious about what you say. Number two, focus on what is before you. Do you know someone that's always seems to be in the midst of trouble? Trouble just seems to be a part of their regular life. Usually, these same people, they stir up trouble and bring others into their trouble. And what tends to happen is it distracts those who are involved from focusing on what God intends for them. And here's the reality. It, can only, it, it, it has to start with you that you can allow yourself to get sucked into that. So if you don't focus on Christ, you can easily get drawn away by things that are none of your business. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Church, the only way you're going to get there is stripping off every weight that seems to entangle you and trip you up. And I am telling you, that is one of the areas you need to guard your heart in. And here's a key, and this is tough, it's not easy, to be consistent in our emotions. To not get too high with the highs, not get too low with the lows. Number three, 
Think about where your feet are going. Now, I get made fun of all the time because I, I, I say I, I'm getting old. And everyone reminds me that I'm, I'm young, apparently. But I'm telling you, you are looking at someone with a very old mind. Church, you can ask my wife, this week, one night, I went to bed at 8.30. I am old. And I, I make this joke that my brain is like, there, there's tons of file cabinets, and those file cabinets are stuffed full, and papers have been spewing out of there, and they're laying all over the ground. And eventually, I'm going to find that right sheet of paper, and I'm going to say or, or give you the answer to what I know is up here somewhere. Saying all that to say this, have you ever had in your mind that you need to go do something, and you go to do that thing, and you walk into another room, and then you're like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? What's going on? Who knows it's dangerous when you're driving a car, and you don't remember the path you took to get to where you're at? That's a bad deal. But it happens to us all the time. But church, I am telling you, in your spiritual walk, if you don't think about where you are going, you'll most likely end up in the wrong place. We can carelessly walk through this life and find ourselves heading in the wrong direction. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You have to be conscious about where your feet are going. Keep your heart in it at all times. Number four, stay away from evil. I want to be so clear about this. If you find yourself going down the wrong path, it's not too late to turn around. It's not too late to notice I am going the wrong direction and say, I have to stay away from that area that I'm going in and I can turn around. And I am telling you, if you, if you go to a good church and if you surround yourself by good people, they are going to welcome you with open arms. They're not going to care about where you've been. They only care about where you are going. And they want to see you going toward the arms of a loving Savior. Find the path that leads you back to Jesus. Staying away from evil is this simple. Two words. Choose obedience. Choose obedience. As you get in tune with the heart of God, you'll understand God's desire for you and learn the things that he requires. Isaiah 30, 21, it says, you own, uh, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or the left. 
entrust God with your life that he is not going to hurt you, your heart is in safe care with him. Because I know some of the situations that you go through, that life can hurt you. Loved ones may hurt you. Other Christians may hurt you. God has plans to prosper you. So the biggest key in all this is to hide God in your heart. Hide him there. And it might seem contrary to use the word hide. And I call it like keeping your heart like that buried treasure. That buried treasure that only so many things can affect. So for instance, anything of value, you're going to place somewhere important. If it's of significant value, you may even hide it in a safe. You may bury it in a secret location in the ground. So when scripture tells us to hide God in our heart, don't be confused with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 about the good news, keeping it under a basket or hiding it. It's not the same thing. But what I speak of is those things that you truly care about, those things that you want to hold on to, you're going to store away and hide because it is what is dearest to you. What we're instructed to do is to hide God's work in our heart. Do you know God's word well enough to have it hidden? That was in Psalm 119.11. Do you know God's word well enough to have it hidden here? Have you approached God's word in the right way to see the value in it? I believe that everyone within the sound of my voice need that discipline. You need discipleship. Amen? I'm going to say that again. You need discipleship. You need to be in one of our Sunday school classes in the mornings, or you need to be in our class on Wednesday nights. You need to be learning. You need to be applying. You need to be memorizing. You have to put those things into practice. And the reason you need to be discipled is because if you say, Pastor, I gave my life to Jesus. If I said, you know, you need to go read your Bible. Do you know where to turn to? Are you going to open it up to page one? Because I guarantee if you open it up to page one, you are going to give up by Leviticus. Guaranteed, you're going to give up by Leviticus. You're going to be like, I'm done. I don't get it. This is for someone else to understand. In fact, I think most of you would probably give up halfway through Exodus because you're like, man, this guy is so repetitive. Why does he keep saying the same things over and over and over again? You need discipled. So that God's word can begin to bring that meaning and that understanding to you. So that I can say, no, no, no. Don't start page one. Your faith isn't going to be of any value starting page one. You're going to gain things out of it. But you need to start learning about Jesus. But... If you learn how to read scripture, if you memorize it, what God speaks about you and over you, 
what He can do in your life, you'll begin to see the value of God's Word. And you're going to find it is more valuable than anything else in your life. Church, that's the real secret of gaining access to your heart. Is this life in God valuable enough that nothing else comes close? You know, I handed five people in here scripture today, and I want you to come up right now, and you're going to stand on the stage beside me, and I want you to kind of be in order so you can figure that out amongst yourselves. You know what number you are. But here's the thing that we're doing this morning. What we do in this life can affect our heart. And are you doing the necessary things in your life? Are you having that discipline? That you are acknowledging this life is a battle if I don't fully engage it's a battle if I fully engage it's a battle so I just want to be all in first Peter 2 11 says dear you residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls then you will see that God has your whole heart. Faith permanent. And the issue. When things, when, when I begin to make changes in my life, I want it to be lasting. But I also know many seek to make lasting changes and it only lasts a few moments. Or we can be easily swayed. And so in order for you to see a victory in your life today, in order to make that permanent change, you have to choose discipline and not drifting in the wind of every emotion in your life. And so I'm going to start. I'm going to sustain lasting change requires building your life on the truth. Dig down through all the minutia of life and stick God's truth and his purpose in your life. Doyle, if you would read John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth, To sustain lasting change, you need to make choices. You won't make changes in your life until you choose to. Shasta, if you would read 21 through 24.
make lasting change. You need to change the way you think. You need to change what you think. Change the way you act. Change the way you feel. Romans 12, 2. Mary, if you would, please. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. To make lasting change in your life, church, requires God's spirit in your life. You will not change. I want you to catch this. You will not change by your own willpower. Your willpower comes and goes. You need God's power. Galatians 5.18 But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. to sustain lasting change in your life. You honest life. Genesis 2.18 The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now I want you to think about that because many of you are saying, well, isn't that when God created woman for man? Yes, He did. But there's a great lesson in that in general. It's not good to be alone. We mentioned it last week. It's not... It's not good to be alone with your own thoughts. It's not good to be alone in general. I believe the deepest changes in life when people who will love and support you, but also correct you. You need each other. You need each other. I want you to give everyone up here a round of applause for coming up. It can be unnerving to do that. But here's the thing I wanted to do today. I wanted to make this message a message of the heart to be a teaching message. One that would challenge you to not just be emotionally driven, but one where you recognize you might have a lot of work to do where you allow the Spirit of God to come in and speak and show you that you have a lot more opening up to do. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. And I want to give an opportunity this morning as our prayer altar team could come forward. What I want you to do is I want you to search your own heart this morning. I want you to open yourself up to God and say, God, am I all in? Have I surrendered over to you? Have I given everything over? And use this opportunity to choose, not just based off a heart decision, because you know it is the right thing to do, to push all your chips into the center of the table. To say, God, I need to surrender everything.